As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This week on Buckets, Boards, and Blocks, we have one of the smartest young basketball minds in digital media and calling games. You've heard him on his Pure Hoops Media show, Full Court Press with Fanta and Fisher. He's been my broadcast partner at Fox Sports for going on three years now. It's my boy. And we've done stuff for the Big East Network together. Um, very few people know college hoops on both sides, as well as John Fanta. So we're going to get to that. Mojo is coming through. But first, Darlene, let's run it. Buckets, Boards and Blocks with Monica McNutt and King McClure is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Monica is a former Georgetown Hoyer who likes nothing better than a three in transition and thinks DC ballers are the smartest. King is a former three and D Baylor baller whose idea of a good time is locking down the other team's best scorer. Monica, King, let's do this. Welcome to Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. I'm Monica McNutt, along with my co-host, King McClure. Hopefully everybody voted. They took care of their civic duty on Tuesday of this week. At the time we're recording this pod, we're still waiting for official results, but the most important part is exercise your right to vote. All right, now let's get into our guest, my boy, my guy, the other half of Mojo, as we are affectionately called, I probably came up with that name, my broadcast partner, and also our Pure Hoops Media teammate, he hosts Full Court Press with Fanta and Fisher. His new co-host is Jenny Fisher. Welcome, Jenny, to the team as well. The one and only John Fanta. Hey, Fanta. Hey, Monica. College basketball season must be around it's the true. corner. It's time that we're united. That's always what it means. But you've been up to a bunch of other things besides college basketball. Really quickly, you know, you hop on Twitter. I saw you enjoying MLB. I know you've got your Cleveland Browns loyalty. What you been up to, friend? Well, over the summer, um, and King, oh, it's sorry, great King. to see you as well. Great work, on, great work on this pot. We can't forget about the King. I mean, come on. Um, covered baseball, covered Indians baseball over the summer. Kept busy, kept at it uh, during our, you know, this weird period of quarantine. It was a unique experience to cover some baseball. And now jumping into college basketball season here. Uh, looking forward to, to being back with Fox Sports and the Big East Digital Network among some other entities. So very exciting times here. Uh, and just fingers are crossed here because there's still a lot of moving pieces and parts with the state of college basketball, as we all know. And it's going to be very interesting to see how everything kind of comes together here in the coming weeks or months. One thing we know for sure, come hell or high water, there has to be a college basketball season. Uh, because for any business, you know, if you're, you can't suffer back-to-back -back years of losing billions of dollars. And that's what the NCAA is facing here as we head into the 2020-21 campaign. It's sure to be unlike any that we've navigated before. Mm. I like the sound of that. Hey, I'm here for it because that's what pays my bills. So I hope <laughs> that that happens. You know it. <laughs> I mean, I guess we let's just get right into it. Like, how, how, how do you think that's going to look this year? I think that that is the million-dollar question, King. And, and, and look, here's – Here's the thing. Um, th there are going to be obstacles. There are going to be ca game cancellations. You know, I think we're going to start November 25th, 
but how deep will we get before we're getting a lot of cancellations? And the key for me with this college basketball season is this. The NCAA put out a guideline that if a player, member of the program, member of that tier one, they have that tier one of the most important personnel in the program. If, if one of those people contracts coronavirus, then the whole program is shut down for 14 days. There's a four day or so reacclimation period for a program that goes through that. So you're talking about having four or five, maybe more games being axed from your schedule. And if that happens to you more than once, you know, now, now you're really facing a predicament. So my thought here, three weeks away from the season is one, not everybody's following that rule. Some conferences, that have gone with their football protocols are following the same thing in basketball and just not following those guidelines, which is angering the conferences who are, who are saying, Hey, the NCAA put out these guidelines. We know that they're not mandated, but we're trying to follow the rules. It doesn't feel like the rules are achievable though to actually achieve a season. And so I do think there needs to be a modification made. And I think that the NCAA kind of has to provide some more outreach. Remember they govern college basketball. The NCAA does not govern the power conference football um, in the FBS. That's up to the conferences themselves. So I think it's very crucial for the season to be pulled off as normal as it can be. We're going to see those, those games get delayed. Some games get canceled. We could see some conferences say, hey, we're only going to play a conference schedule because of the lack of testing uniformity. But I think there's got to be more uniformity amongst the NCAA guidelines. And since they can't mandate it, I think it's going to be very unique for them to achieve it. But there's definitely some problems here because you have programs that are shutting down right now. There's a, there's a fair portion of them that have had to shut down and we're only three weeks away from the season. So you think about it, two weeks plus another couple of days, you both can relate as players what it's like to have to reacclimate yourselves if you've been out for a week, if not two and a half. Two and a half weeks is like forever. <laughs> forever. Woo, I know. <laughs> we had um, Biggie's Media Days, obviously, last week. Marquette, one of the programs that comes to mind in yep. my universe of college basketball that I think of, both the men's and women's programs in that timeout after they had a couple positive tests. Um, and I know Coach Megan Duffy was very candid about it. You know, we're doing what we're supposed to do. And she wasn't the only coach who mentioned, to your point, John, I hope that this is something that the NCAA revisits um, because there's definitely differing information out there. Uh, obviously, the priority here is the safety for all involved because even if we say, all right, these are 18 to 22-year-olds typically don't seem to be the demographic that are having the most catastrophic results in this situation. You've got coaching staffs and administrations that vary in age, um, and you just really have to weigh that risk. So. First and foremost, I would hope all the kids are taking this thing seriously. Yeah, and I think that a lot of programs are. And if you think about Marquette, the both coaching staffs brought up, and, and I firmly believe this, it's not like a bunch of kids for Marquette went out and partied and it was a spread. Uh, they only came back with two positive tests. And that's what Steve Wojciechowski and Megan Duffy, the men's and women's basketball coaches at Marquette, were saying is what's so frustrating about this is we were following everything we we're supposed to. We were doing everything we we're supposed to, and we still contracted the virus and still had to shut down our programs. And that's what programs 
that have to go through this, they have to grapple with the idea that if one person gets it, it ruins it, you know, it, it ends up ruining a, a portion of their season, which in a season that is so unique, you know, you might never be the same team. Uh, if you have that type of period where you just, you can't do anything, no basketball team activities. So I do think the NCAA needs to revisit. The concerning thing is, as we do this podcast, we're three weeks out from college basketball games. I mean, time is ticking here. Mm-hmm. And when you've had months and months and have had the chance to watch bubbles and have had a chance to watch professional sports deliver and you have to have a season, it seems like there's still more questions than answers. I don't know if I like that, but like both of you, I'm an optimist. We're mm-hmm. remaining optimistic that things are going to happen. We're going to see college basketball. One thing I'll say is, this is the, the darker side. Um, if we do see, if we do see some sort of a shutdown, you'd rather see it come early yeah. so that then conferences can kind of save the day, if you will, and do what they really are trying to avoid because of how much money it costs. But you might have to put the money up front if you're going to get the money in March, which is that NCAA tournament money. And that's where, if it happens early, at least you could get into a bubble for the last couple months. Yeah. Mm. So, million-dollar question. If you're a coach, both of you guys, if you're a coach of a college basketball team, knowing what you know, knowing that your season can be affected by two weeks, Mm. how strict would you be on your players as far as monitoring them 24-7 and – watching their whereabouts and just making sure that they are where they're supposed to be. Like how strict would you be? Oh, I've got a GA in the hallway. if not two. I mean, (laughs) seriously, I got two, two GAs or a GA and a manager That managerial staff. Let's go. Come on. I mean, those guys put in the grind. This is where the managers support staff, they get, you know, maximized. I mean, those guys, they're the hidden heroes of the program, but I got them in the hallways. I got them checking on the players and, hey, it's Fortnite and chill, man. I mean, that's, that's what we're staring at. I got people in the hallways checking on things. I mean, camp counselors, baby. Fortnite and chill. You know, I think it would depend on the complexion of my team. If I felt like I had upperclassmen that I could trust, um, and if my campus, if most of the – like, I don't believe Georgetown – You've had, I believe, if I have this correct, for Georgetown, for an average student or typical student to be back on campus, you had to have reason. You had to apply through this program through the, through the university. So if my campus is not open to the masses, I've got a team that I believe I can trust in terms of their character and maybe their upperclassmen. I, because I wouldn't want my managers and GAs to now become enemies of my players. Like I need it all to work together. But if I've got knuckleheads, mm. no, you come and you stay at my house. Like, Monica, you're staying at my house. No, Monica, my rebuttal to that is, okay, let's, let's just be real for a second. Regardless of who is on campus and regardless of your upperclassmen, right, um, they're men. They're, they're men in the night the twi- between 18 and 22. Oh, I'm thinking about my women's team. My bad. I wasn't even thinking about men. Oh, my bad, my bad. Well, so men. basically the conclusion here is Monica <laughs> would be a more trustworthy teammate because King's going out. Exactly. Like, no, I would be in the no, house right now. No, no, King. Oh, King, are you at the barbecue joint in Waco? No, what's King, what's King doing eating pulled pork? <laughs> it's not going out. It's just the fact that I'm not saying it for myself. Well, I'm speaking for the general oh, population. I know, right? I know, I know. The I know. population. They're probably going to have people over to their apartment, gay. Okay? 
whether it's people of the opposite sex or so, somebody's going to be in that apartment, okay? <laughs> so I'm with John. Uh, you you got to have the, the people there 24-7 because then let's say one of the females they bring over has COVID and then gives it to them, then they don't know that they never have been tested in two days or a day. Then they go to practice and infect everybody. Then it's like, Coach, I ain't go out. I ain't do nothing. But so what you're telling me is, I agree with John. What you're telling me is, you would have been that knucklehead still having company because I was thinking how, about me. Yeah, being a hold on, these are 18 and 22 year old kids. You're telling you know one of these kids that if they got a girlfriend, hey, you can't see her. Yeah, I mean, we all know that's gonna happen. Is she on campus? I mean, she might be. She might not. She might be coming from a different city. Like you don't know. Um, I think I'm heavily impressing. And remember here, it's college. So it's co if it's a long, <laughs> if it's a long distance relationship, it wouldn't be the first time that, uh, you know, somebody got something, something during the long distance. I can talk love too. <laughs> Are we keeping it real or not? You know what I mean? I mean, real. <laughs> I don't know. I, now I feel like I'm too naive about my kids. I don't know. I don't have an answer for this. I'm also not a coach. I'm a broadcaster. And how am I preparing? I'm going through my notes and proceeding as if games are going to get played. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> maybe we should talk basketball. Perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> On that note, <laughs> now that we know King would have been breaking protocol to see his girl. Anyway. <laughs> all right. So, mentioned we're all broadcasters. We're doing our best to prepare. You know, it's whatever. We don't control it. But all right, John, let's get into some of this big picture stuff. And King, for you, uh, top men's storylines that you guys are looking forward to. Hmm. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, I think that the race at the top of the country leads storylines. Villanova, Baylor, and Gonzaga. I would put Baylor at the top of the nation uh, heading into this season. And, and King, I, I know, you know that you'll enjoy hearing that, but the fact is with the Bears, when you bring back somebody as good as Jared Butler and you bring back Masio T and you have the defensive backbone that Baylor has and that experience and the way that they won games, you know, I do think that that makes them a preseason number one. Uh, that doesn't mean that they'll be in the final four. We're going to get to that. Villanova, they lose Sadiq Bay, who's a big enough loss and a guy that's going to be a top 15 pick, that that's, that's what's keeping me from saying they're the number one team in the country because he accounted for so much of what they did. He was an All-American, great wing player. So, so the top storyline for me is who is the, the top team um, in the country? And that's between Baylor, Villanova, and then a Gonzaga team that welcomes in more talent. It's almost like they, they just grow trees in, in Spokane because every year they've just, they just have – you know, great big men play. After that, my big question is, what do we see of the Blue Bloods in terms of young backcourt players? Duke, Kentucky, young in the backcourt. Uh, Jeremy Roach, you know, for Duke. How does that pan out as he comes into the program? You're talking about youth. How will that translate for Duke and Kentucky when we've had a pandemic over an unprecedented offseason? Mm. I, I agree 100%. I think those are two great storylines. I think for Baylor, the interesting thing is um, losing Freddie Gillespie. I think what made their defense so great was Freddie being that anchor in the back. And I definitely think without him, they might have a small minor drop-off. So it'll be interesting to see who steps up 
and replaces Freddie Gillespie. For the Blue Bloods, I think that was more so my storyline. I, I will the Blue Bloods remain to be the Blue Bloods in college basketball. Like North Carolina was super irrelevant last year. Uh, Cole Anthony, yeah, I mean, I hate to say it, but it's just the truth. Cole yeah. Anthony was just injured and then came back and this was jacking everything. North Carolina was irrelevant. Duke was good, but they weren't Duke. Uh, Kentucky was good, but they still weren't Kentucky. And like like Fanta said, they're young. So like, will these young guys, because I think college basketball is changing. I, I don't think you can win with young guys anymore because I think that experience uh, takes over at the end. So I do not think that, you know, this one and done whole uh, rule, I think this is about to be gone, not in the sense of NCAA rules, but I think just in the sense of you're not going to win games like that because ultimately experience wins in college basketball. Hmm, interesting, guys. I honestly, I'm sitting here listening and I'm like, oh man, that was, you know, we're talking about the 2020, what would have been the 2020 NCAA tournament. It feels like forever. Like, I feel like Sadiq Bey already got drafted and I saw him in the bubble, even though I didn't. It just, it's all <laughs> so nebulous. All right. Um, I love those two storylines. I'm curious about what conference is going to come through strongest on the men's side, in your opinions. Oh, there's no question in my mind who the best conference is in college basketball. It is the Big Ten. You're talking about a league that's going to have three top ten teams at worst. They could have a fourth. Luca Garza coming back to Iowa, and the Hawkeyes – have essentially seven starters on their team. Jordan Bohannon was hurt last year. He'll be healthy. He'll be back. Joe Wieskamp, another really just good complimentary player for them. And Garza is a unicorn of sorts. I mean, he has a path professionally down the road. He comes back to Iowa City. Hawkeyes have not been to a Final Four since 1980. I love the look of Iowa. Wisconsin essentially returns everybody. Great guard has maybe the best defensive team in college basketball. They do not play pretty. Okay, if you watch a Wisconsin game, you are not entertained by them. It's not a sexy style. But when I think about the Badgers, I look at how complete they are in Demetri Trice, Brad Davison, who I think has been around college basketball for the last 10 years. Forever. I played against Brad Davison. <laughs> exactly. And King's old. Lean <laughs> Ford, Micah Porter, uh, Potter, they're just – they have so many pieces. Wisconsin's right there. And then how about this in Champaign? I think it's one of the most fascinating storylines in the country. Illinois is back. Io DeSumo, Kofi Coburn tested the waters. They both came back for Brad Underwood. The Illini have not been really relevant in terms of national prominence in college basketball in a long time. I mean, it's been over a decade. They're back. And by the way, I just brought up three schools that are top 10 worthy. I didn't even bring up Tom Izzo in Michigan State. Sparty has Aaron Henry back. Rocket Watts will take a leap as a sophomore. They're going to be A-OK. -okay. The Big Ten could send 10 teams to the NCAA tournament this upcoming season. Ooh. I agree. They are, the Big Ten is definitely the best conference in college basketball. I think uh, a second would have to be the Big 12. No bias. Um, right. I think we look at Baylor and Kansas – I mean, you could put Kansas. This is not really the deepest Kansas team that they've ever had, but they're still top 10 worthy. Uh, when you look at Shaka Smart down there in Texas, um, that's a coach who's on the hot seat. I love Shaka Smart to death, but he has to produce. So this is a year that he has to produce or his tenure could be over in Austin. You look at West Virginia, they pretty much bring their whole team back. Two monsters down low and Shibwe 
and Culver. And then also, you can't forget about my guys, Texas Tech, and what he's doing in Lubbock. Um, man, I think the Big 12 is going to be good. The only problem that concerns me is that when tournament time comes around, a lot of these teams just fall off. And, like, these teams aren't good in the tournament. It's like maybe one or two, but it's just, they just don't – they're not really sustainable throughout the whole season. But I agree with Fran. I think the Big Ten hands down – the deepest and the best conference this year, which is weird to like really think about because when I was playing Big Ten, like they were good. It was like Michigan State, like Indiana was okay, Ohio State, but like now it's teams like Illinois and Iowa. Like who, who would have ever thought? But Big Ten is definitely the best conference. Um, I called the game at Iowa State last year. Oh I, yeah, where am I? What what is going on? <laughs> Ames. Talk about a tough city to have to fly into. You got to fly and then you got to drive like 45 minutes. Yes, it's, it's a beast. It's a beast. Although I had the same kind of experience going to West Virginia because you fly into Pitt and then you drive. Yeah, you got to fly to Pitt and drive an hour. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, okay, love it. No love for the ACC, fellas, or we're waiting to see. You know, well, I, it's disappointing because I was actually pulling for FSU last year. I'm a big Leonard Hamilton fan. And I really wanted to see if FSU would get over the hump. The hump being they tend to choke in big moments in the postseason. And then obviously we all got robbed of the postseason. But they had a banner year. So I believe they won the conference uh, last year. Yeah. They obviously didn't make it to the ACC tournament. But Well, let me tell you, Florida State could repeat. Um, I don't think they will because I think – but they could finish second. In fact, if I were picking the ACC – I would pick Florida State second. I'd pick him behind Virginia. I know. I'm, I'm waking up the echoes uh, down at Duke in North Carolina and making those people upset. But the fact is, experience wins. King just said it. Virginia brings back Kihei Clark. They welcome in a Marquette transfer and Sam Hauser, who's going to give them a shooting ability. Virginia has a completeness to them offensively. That's the difference with Virginia this year. We always talk about their defense. And then Florida State – Despite losing Devin Vassell and a couple of other key players, Trent Forrest being another, they welcome in a transfer in Scotty Barnes, um, mm-hmm. and they've got a good front court. They're going to be long. Leonard Hamilton is the fine wine of college basketball. He gets better every single year, and the guy does not age. I need, age. I need his health plan. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't age. I really want to agree with you on him getting, being the fine wine of college basketball. He looks tremendous. I want his teams to be more disciplined. And that's why last year was going to be so huge for me to see if this was a team that could do it. I still am very angry uh, about them losing in the NCAA tournament the year before, although I understand that they had some guys out in that particular game. But to me, that has been the narrative on them. Virginia, that's a tremendous point about what the Cavs will bring back for sure, John. And they, don't they, they still have Diakite. Yes, yeah, and Diakite played a huge role, and Braxton – was good last year. I mean, he was solid last year. But this year, he's going to take that leap because he's an older guy. I think Braxton was – no, he was a year behind me. So, he's an older guy. So, I, I love the pick of Virginia. I think they're going to be really good. Yeah, I'll tell you right now, if I picked a final four coaches in this sport at the moment, it's Jay Wright at Villanova. It's Scott Drew at Baylor. It is Tony Bennett at Virginia. And it's Chris Beard at Texas Tech. I just I really like all four of those programs, the way that they're run, the way their teams evolve. And by the way, with Virginia and Villanova, those two teams are going to meet December 19th, scheduled for Madison Square Garden. On whose network? 
to be decided. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm not giving out that one. <laughs> I get in trouble for that. We would love to see that one. That's, um, ooh, maybe I, that's, you know, Madison Square Garden is one of my jobs, you know, I'm trying to get, get that game. Um, okay, uh, we've got to get, do you guys have player of the year picks at this point? Hmm. It's hard to not go with Luca Garza at Iowa. I mean, uh, you know, he's just such an amazing talent. And because he's so unique in the way that he plays the game, you know, this is somebody who as a sophomore was averaging around 13 and nine and as a junior he averaged like 24 and 12. He took a massive leap as a player uh, even more than 12 rebounds actually and, and just when you look at his trajectory path and how difficult he is to defend I think that you have to take a, a, a hard look at Luca Garza. I mean look you know Baylor could have one in, in, in Jared Butler. I mean he's certainly a, a candidate. He's certainly right there. We'll see what else happens in, in the sport and, and who emerges. I think for, for my money, point guard-wise, Colin Gillespie at Villanova can absolutely be a candidate. You know, he, he learned from the best in Jalen Brunson. He's ready to stir the drink for the Wildcats. He has to be considered. He's not one of the top names that you consider, but has to because he's going to drive the, the bus for the Wildcats. Yeah, I, I think you definitely have to look at Luca Garza just because of what he's done, and, and Jared Butler, I think those would probably be your top two. Um, I think one person who probably won't get the national play of the year just because of the circumstances, but probably will be the number one pick in the draft, I think Cade Cunningham is a guy that we can't forget about in Stillwater. I mean, because I know they can't play in a tournament. But I still think his impact, I think that if he can get that team to a top 25 or – you know, just up there in, in a sense, top 30 or win, win ball games. If he can turn this program around and win ball games, I think that's somebody that you should look at. Maybe not as national player of the year, but future number one pick probably in next year's draft. Six, seven point guard. Um, a little different uh, when, you, when you're a six, seven, six, eight point guard. Yeah, that, that, nobody's really talking about him, which is crazy to me. Yeah, and they're going to have – he's going to have a national TV spotlight. It was just – they're sorry about the dog. The dog agrees. Um, the national TV – they're going to have a national TV spotlight for their opener. By the way, another name uh, – Oklahoma State. So, Cunningham is – got to watch him. But another name to watch, okay, Remy Martin at Arizona State. Mm. Senior. Hey, dude is cold. Dude is nice. <laughs> yeah, he can play. And we have not talked about that. Just quickly – Pac-12 basketball is in for a critical year. I mean, the, the league has the makings of a league that can send six teams to the NCAA tournament. And Martin is at the forefront of that league in terms of star power. Also, watch out for UCLA. Mick Cronin has a couple of pieces, Tiger Campbell being one of them and some others. The Bruins, they were on the right path. They're just going to continue that this year. There's reason to believe in Westwood that UCLA could be a top 15 team. Hey. To, so to, to, to back up your point, that backcourt with Remy Martin and Josh Christopher yeah. is going to be crazy. I, I'm a huge Josh Christopher fan. Out of all the incoming freshmen, he's hands down my favorite because the way he plays, his buckets are like next-level buckets. It's not, you know, when you watch a guy, you're like, oh, he's getting buckets, but like that that's high school level. No, no, it's like NBA-level buckets that he's getting. I think he's going to be one and done easily. So Remy Martin and Josh Christopher is going to be a crazy, probably one of the most underrated backcourts 
in college basketball? Um, wow, guys, I feel like I'm getting so schooled because I haven't dug this deep onto the men's side at all. But this is all super. I'm getting excited. This is a great little teaser. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I'm ready to go. I, I are we ready for final four picks? I've got mine. Uh, let's have it, Fanta. Bring it. Go. Okay. Here we go. After much research and studying and a deep dive, this is at the start of the season who I've got my final four. And I had to go with the dark horse. I can't go all chalk. Of course. So it starts chalk. Virginia, Villanova, Wisconsin. We've talked about all three of those teams and what makes them so good. My fourth final four team is in the Big 12. They were the last team that King mentioned when he went through the Big 12 because I think where they start is not where they will finish. And I am betting again on Chris Beard and Texas Tech to make a final four run this upcoming year. Here is why I think that. That team, fundamentally, Monica, you, you said, do they stay within themselves? You were talking about that with Florida State. Like, do they do the little things? Do they, not, do they stay disciplined? Texas Tech is as disciplined as you're going to see when you watch a team play. Kyler Edwards, star. Georgetown transfer Mac McClung will play off that well. We know what he has in his arsenal. He'll play off that well. And then you go down in the paint. They have Marcus Santos Silva and Terrence Shannon Jr. I mean, those guys are grinders. They, they are grinders, and they know how to package up stops. I like the looks of Chris Beard. I know they lost Jemias Ramsey. I know they lost Chris Clark. Uh, Davide Moretti as well, another championship caliber player. But they have Joel and Tomboy, a key newcomer. You've got Namari Burnett. Texas Tech, again, has a team that they're going to start hovering around the top 25. I'm buying my stock again in them. I like them to be a dark horse in the NCAA tournament. My dark horse mid-major, you heard it from me now, a team that could come out of nowhere, wear the Cinderella slipper, Richmond. Watch out for the Spiders this year. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> uh, what's my head coach? Mooney? Chris Mooney is still down at Richmond doing his thing? Yes. Take a look at them. I think they have a great defense, but an offense that can go inside out. I watched them play live last year. They played Wisconsin. Wisconsin, who finished real well. They beat Wisconsin thoroughly, and they welcomed virtually everybody back. Richmond Spiders basketball. What Dayton was to the Atlantic 10 last year, not to the degree, but Richmond could be this year. Richmond and St. Louis, great race in the A-10. The A-10 plays some good basketball. It is nice. slept on, particularly um, since, you know, VCU hasn't been what it was. But the A-10, that's, that's good basketball. Hmm. So, my picks. I got a almost the same as John. I have Villanova. I think Colin Gillespie is an, a tremendous leader and gets those guys to buy in and feed off his energy. I think that's huge because I think that right there is what's going to get them to the Final Four. I think Virginia, Kihei Clark is another huge piece. Probably, arguably, might be one of the most important pieces to a team in college basketball. Then I have Baylor. And I think Jared Butler and all the experience coming back. No bias. All the experience coming back, I think. Are you sure? Got, <laughs> yeah. No, and he, then I also think, but like to to bounce off of that, because of the way that they ended last season, they ended it really bad. So I think that they learned from that and will not allow that to repeat. Knowing what I know about Coach Drew and that staff, they're not letting that repeat. 
point. But however, I do not have Gonzaga in my final four. I think um, the guard play is a little shaky. I think Joel Ayayi is, is solid. Jalen Suggs are solid. But like we said, experience wins. So I have to put Wisconsin in that last spot because of the experience in Trice and Davidson. And they just play defense and, and oh. get it done regardless. So I would hate I would hate to see a, a Wisconsin and Virginia uh, Final Four game. I would not tune into that. <laughs> that'd be an ugly <laughs> that'd be an ugly style of basketball. But I do think those four teams right now are looking the best. All right, guys, that was very comprehensive. I'm, I'm super educated. We got to make sure we get a mention of the ladies in because that's where my energy has been going as I'm gearing up for ACC Media Days. Um. Just, I guess, the biggest storylines on the women's side, it's got to be who's going to be top dog. Is it going to be a traditional power, or are we going to see some newcomers in that conversation? Obviously, UConn last year was not what we're accustomed to seeing from UConn. Neither was Notre Dame on the women's side. Uh, South Carolina, Baylor, Oregon, uh, Stanford last year, you know, they were all asserting themselves. I was really, really looking forward to the NCAA tournament, but we do not need to go back to that. Um, but I think coming in, if I had to go number one right now on the women's side, definitely is South Carolina, Don Staley and the Gamecocks. They've got a group of sophomores, Aaliyah Boston, mm-hmm. Zaya Cook are the two that kind of are the highlighters on that squad. I think that this could be a really special year for them out of the SEC. Yeah, and when you think about South Carolina, they have the complementary players on top of that star power. Uh, Destiny Henderson and Victoria Saxton, both juniors. And you, when you talk about the way that they've grown as players, I expect them to only take another leap. Um, Lily Grissett, another player who's a senior, who they expect to kind of be a leader. So you welcome all those players in. And then, Monica, transfer pickup. A Texas transfer in Destiny Littleton. You know, that was a sneaky good pickup there in the offseason. They bring in Littleton. This South Carolina team is a well-oiled machine. You know, after them, what intrigues me is you've got two teams that are going to be in the top five or so Mm -hmm. uh, in UConn and Louisville who bring in freshman star power. And it's the same thing. Like, we've had an unprecedented offseason. How do the freshmen factor in? Uh, But you've got two freshmen in Paige Beckers at UConn and a UConn freshman class. Gino Oriema said it. Monica, I'm sure you heard this last week. Gino does not say much uh, in terms of, like, overly praising a player. He stopped at a long pause and said, I mean, I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say she's really, really, really good. When you say that about Paige Beckers, who we know is going to be really good, that gives me Stewie vibes. Mm. Because... That's a great mm. comparison. He also said, what's with giving freshman awards? They haven't even played a game yet. So G- Gino is one that is a straight shooter, no chaser. Um, I believe him when he says Paige is very good. Of all we've seen with Paige, she is very good. But the other freshman comes from Louisville. Haley Van Life. Or Van Life, excuse me. Haley Van Life. And I got to tell you, I think Jeff Waltz is a coaching star. Mm-hmm. He is. He what he's been able to do with the Cardinals, he has built them up. They do lose three starters, but when you look at what they bring in from a freshman class standpoint, they're going to be stacked. I love the emergence of the Cardinals. So how Van Life and how Beckers adjust, that's one of my top storylines as well. 
definitely, I think those are worthy storylines. I think you also got to look at some teams that were tremendous last year and how they reload, particularly the Oregon Ducks. I mean, you lose two players in the top three of the draft and then the third to round out the top 10, Ruthie Hebert, uh, Sabrina Ionescu, obviously, and Satu Sabli. They had been the face of that program for so long. And so now how do those guys reload out there? I think another story close to the heart of women's basketball would be up at Syracuse. Tiana Monacaya is returning after her battle with breast cancer. And Syracuse is a team that is only, I might be messing up my years, three years, three, four years, I can't remember, removed from a Final Four experience. And so um, my guy up there, Quentin Hillsman, a DMV representative, knows what he's doing with that squad, for sure. Yeah, it's a really good point. Um... And I think Syracuse, their emergence, and and the fact that they have the returning core back, it, you know, it really is an interesting storyline to watch heading into this year. And as we look across the country, I've got two programs that especially intrigue me with the way that they, they've been on their trajectory, okay? The first is Mike Neighbors mm. and Arkansas. Mm. How about the backcourt they've got? They might have the best threesome guard a three-headed monster of of a backcourt fifth-year seniors too yeah fifth years experience guard play that equals success Chelsea Dungy Amber Ramirez you know two players who can dial it up and then you bring in a grad transfer from Oregon State Destiny Slocum just to add the cherry on top to a Razorback Sunday so I look at Arkansas, and I'm really intrigued by them. And then how about, Monica, one program that we have, we have not talked about in the Pac-12, Ari McDonald and Arizona. You know, that's a team that when you look at what they've assembled out in Arizona, the Wildcats, they get McDonald back. She tested the WNBA draft water. She comes back. It looks like she was going to go in the WNBA. She doesn't. They're another team that I really am intrigued by, Arkansas and Arizona. But the bigger picture here, to me, is the gaps in women's basketball starting to close. And I think a lot of it has to do with this Instagram age because young women want to have their name be a part of a program in which they truly had their hand on it and not just rode the bench behind Gino or formerly Muffet um, or now Neil Ivy at, at Notre Dame. So those were wins to me that really marked sort of the shifting of this landscape. And of course, we know King is our Baylor guy. Um, the Baylor women's squad, I'm sure they're going to be a team that's formidable. Uh, obviously, thoughts and prayers go out to um, Dee Dee Richards, and I can't remember yeah. the other young woman's yeah, name. Yeah, Moon. Moon Erson. Who? Moon Erson. Yes, they had a collision. I don't know what the updates are on that, but I know it was something that was really dramatic and had both of them missing time. So hopefully that they are healthy. Hmm. So last year in women's college basketball, everything was about Sabrina Inescu. She was hands down the face of college basketball last year. Who is the face of college basketball this year? Of women's college basketball this year? Hmm. Um, so I don't want to make this too deep. So I'm, I'm, I'm just going to answer this question. I, I think the excitement surrounding both Haley and Paige is something that we haven't seen in a minute. Um, but I personally think of someone like Kristen Williamson first at UConn, who I think is tremendous, is now entering her junior year, um, or her sophomore year, I believe. Kristen, Kristen Williams, excuse me. Um, 
she's the kind of kid that is capable of big time performances and big, and big time moments on big time stages. And the eyeballs are going to be on UConn, whether they can return to the UConn that we know. Um, I think someone like Zaya Cook and Aaliyah Boston, they are big deals in uh, South Carolina because that team is going to be very good and a lot is going to be expected of them. So those are the first couple of names that come to mind. I still think that the women's game, a lot of the enthusiasm and excitement surrounds coaches, which this year also could be very interesting as Kara Lawson is now head coach at Duke mm. and Neil Ivey returned from her post with the Memphis Grizzlies to go back to Notre Dame. And those are two marquee programs in the women's game. So I think there could be a lot of excitement around those coaches as leaders as well. Yeah, I'm going to go out to Stanford for mine, and I'm going to go with Lexi Hall. Um, I just love the way that she plays. I think that Syracuse, uh, I think that Stanford rather has the right couple of players to be in a Final Four. Um, and when you talk about, you know, what what Tara Vanderveer's done at, at Stanford, when you talk about coaches and the development of players, I like Lexi Hall. And, and that's what I, I think when I think of great players in the game. There's not a Sabrina Ionescu in women's college basketball this year. Sabrina Ionescu is a generational talent, one-of-a-kind type talent. But you keep looking at the Pac-12 and you think about the quality of players. You think about Hall. Um, you go out to Arizona, you think about McDonald and the fact that she's coming back. She averaged 21 points a game for Arizona. And she's coming back. Uh, I mean, I, I look at those two players – and I, and I think that when you look at, at those two and then Michaela Anyamware from UCLA, the Pac-12 Player of the Year race could feature the National Player of the Year if, Monica, if it's not Aaliyah Boston, that name to me, you know, if I picked a National Player of the Year in the preseason, Aaliyah Boston, it'd be hard for me not to write her name. And just I love the way she plays the game for Dawn Stable. I do want to insert, uh, let's go down ACC country, NC State. Alisa Cunane is okay. another, uh, could be player of the year candidate if she takes that kind of leap in now her junior season. She essentially was a double-double machine for the Wolfpack. Now, obviously at that four position, four or five position, it's going to be, uh, she's heavily contingent on guard play, but uh, Westmore has a couple of sophomore guards now and. Uh, Jakia Boyd being one of them from last year who should take the next step. But Kunane was another one who was double-double machine. Hey, one more player. Cannot forget, uh, and for a program that has not won an NCAA tournament game since 1993, that could have likely changed last year. Lindsey Pulliam and Northwestern, the Wildcats are going to be a top-20 team. They're really interesting. Pulliam's back. She could be the best player in the Big Ten this year. I love the way she plays the game. And I, I want to give a shout out to the Northwestern Wildcats. We don't, they don't get the national love always, but I, I think they're going to end that NCAA tournament wind drought um, and, and what they have coming back. It's, it's a fun story what the Wildcats have been able to build. For sure. Okay, real quick before we wrap this up, we got to wrap it up real quick. I need everybody to tell me who is their pick to win the national championship in women's college basketball. Ooh. God, that's tough. And I love that it's tough because we haven't had this in a long time. Uh, I, right now, I think I would stay chalk and go with South Carolina. Um, but deep in my soul somewhere, I would like to see um, an NC State get in there and shake it up. They, I think NC State could have been a Final Four team last year. They lose a couple of key senior guards. So I'm curious to see how Westmore 
re restocks, shall we say. Um, but I think right now I'd probably go chalk and go with Don Staley in South Carolina. I got to tell you, you know, if you didn't go Don Staley, I'd probably go with Kim Mulkey and Bailey. Mm -hmm. But the key variable to this whole situation is Paige Beckers and UConn. Mm -hmm. And Paige Beckers coming into the Huskies program coming into the Big East, their return to the Big East Conference. There's a lot of fire. I'm sensing a fever around UConn basketball. You know, I, I think that that matters. I do. I, I think for UConn, having to play in the American where they were traveling to Tulsa, East Carolina, Houston, getting on planes and getting back to campus at 2, 3 a.m., Gino Riemma said it was taxing. He said we were winning games, but I'd be lying to you if I said it wasn't taxing. I'm very curious to see Connecticut come back into the Big East. Kristen Williams is the best player in the conference, one of the best players in the country. And Paige Becker's coming in. If Becker's is as good as we're thinking she could be, she could be the key variable to lift a UConn up from maybe a preseason number four team to maybe number two and maybe in competition again. Let's see if Becker's can give UConn that kind of vibe. If she doesn't, then I think it comes down to a, a, a Baylor um, South Carolina final. For the sake of it, I will go with Baylor as my national champion, even though they lose Lauren Cox. That's 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 not wild. That's not wild at all, Fanta. Um, I'm really I am curious to see UConn can assert themselves back to the top of the heap. It's a lot we're putting on Becker's boy. We got we got to see what this kid's made out of. I'm telling you, I'm putting a lot on her because of everything I'm hearing, and and it's very unlike things that are said about a freshman. It is. Okay. Well, we gonna find out. King, what you got? You got to pick? Find out, and definitely, she's Instagram famous. And everything I see on Instagram <laughs> looks like that girl is legit. And Haley, she just, another conversation for another time. However, <laughs> however, my I'll pick. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what. Again, again, this is why I have the GA in the hallway. <laughs> I see why. <laughs> It ain't, it ain't buckets, boards, and blocks for nothing, folks. <laughs> That's how I love that. Look, my pick, you already know who I'm rocking with. Green and gold, Baylor, Coach Monkey. Yeah, there you look. go. There you go. You we, know. Need King to get, we need King to do Corso with the bear head. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know about that one. <laughs> I don't know about that one. But look, Fanna, hey, I really, we really appreciate you giving your words of wisdom and your insight. I feel like I'm super educated on the women's side. Monica got educated on the men's side. At least want to appreciate, thank you uh, for being on the show, man. Guys, thanks for having me. Let's tip this off. That was dope. <laughs> now the segment everybody has been waiting for. My personal favorite segment, even though shout out to Fanna, he was great. Who's tripping? Mm -mm -mm. Post election addiction. Post election edition. That's kind of uh, catchy. It's a little bit because post election you know, day. We still don't have the results. Oh yeah, yeah. Post election, but like it's catchy because it's like the candidate for who's oh, tripping. Like, okay. you, you know, candidate. Like anyways, mm -hmm. my candidate this week. It's not even a candidate. Dude was straight up tripping. Keith Oberman. Hmm. Do you know the name? Do you not know the name? But let me tell you about this man, Keith Olbermann. Hmm. So, <laughs> my man on Facebook Live is talking about Donald Trump 
whom a lot of people either you like or you don't like a lot of people dislike um and he he was going to call him a word the, the c word um that's why we call it the c word because you're not supposed to say it because <laughs> well, if you could say it if you could say it we wouldn't have to call it the c word we could say it <laughs> monica am i tripping no i was very surprised when king just said it. i was like oh okay I wasn't sure if that was going to get bleeped out or what. My bad. Um, it's been nice knowing you guys. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> so wait, where should I start? Where should I run that back to? God, Bruce, help him. Don't run it back. Just you dug this hole. Now dig yourself out of it. <laughs> Keith Oberman <laughs> wanted to call Donald Trump the C word. Now, however, he, he might be correct. Uh, that, that's for you to determine. I mean, some people think he is, some people think he isn't. I, it might be the real thing. But however, 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 Keith Oberman, you did not have um, the kahunas to say the word. So you instead substituted kunta kinte, a whiny little kunta kinte. Hmm. Now, you know what? As a black man who's watched Roots, First and foremost, it don't make sense. If you ever seen Kuta Kente and seen Donald Trump, it's two different people. However, I I don't I'm not one of those people that's gonna deem it racist. I'm just gonna say you're an idiot. Because why would you even say that in the first place? Mm-hmm. Like it didn't make sense. And on top of that, for you to not be sensitive to your times. Like you know what type of time we are in where there's so much racial division. And for you to just go ahead and say Kuta Kente, I bet you probably ain't even seen roots. To be real. That's right. However, you have the nerve because you weren't man enough to say the C word on television, which you shouldn't even you shouldn't even put that in your vocabulary in the first place it's on tweet. television. It's a tweet. Don't tweet it though. Either. Oh, you shouldn't have tweeted that in the first place. But you sit up here and you want to call him Kunta Kente. Like, come on, now you gotta be aware of your surroundings, aware of the times that we're in. So for that, you just an idiot, bro. And you tripping. Point blank period. Um, yes, I agree. I was very confused when the, t- when the tweet made its way to a group text that I'm in with a bunch of fellow black journalists. I couldn't understand if this was a Trump supporter or because I just didn't understand the use of the phrase and the reference at all. Big time tripping is one to keep over him. But I also think the larger point on this is if you can't just say it, you probably shouldn't be trying to say it. Don't try to figure out a cute way to say it. Like, just don't. And, and similar to what you said, King, read the room. This is not the time in our history to be flippantly tossing around characters that represent a group of people that has been marginalized and suffered at the hands of the more privileged groups of people in this country. So just, just don't. No, thank you. You're tripping. Okay. It is time to wrap up. Thank you to our guests. One half of Mojo, John Fanta, producer Bruce Bernstein, and our outstanding editor, Tom Phillip. Don't forget our other shows, Mike Wise. I love that guy. Drops each Monday with a new show. His guest this week, well, Mike Wise has gotten some really good guests. His guest this week is George Carl. After he had Jeannie Buss, now George Carl. He's getting really good guests and also tweets some really good things. Pay attention to my guy. Full Court Press with 
our guy John Fanta, and Jenny Fisher is here on Tuesday. And I guess this week is Oregon women's coach Kelly Graves. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Otto and Aaron have a brand new show each Wednesday. BJ Armstrong, Bulls legend, and Eric Newman have the Pure Hoops podcast every Friday. And I'm back with the fantabulous Monica next Thursday with buckets, boards, and blocks from Pure Hoops Media. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Finally, y'all, COVID-19 is still raging through our country. In fact, on Wednesday, November 4th, we hit 100,000 cases for the first time in a long time. This is not a joke. It's not gone yet. So please wash your hands, stay in the house, maintain six feet away, from other people when you're out in public and definitely wear your mask. Don't wanna hear it, wear your mask. It's not negotiable at this point. Please be sure to treat everyone around you um, with common decency. Be, can, be considerate, just treat them like they're your friends. Definitely keep all of those people on the front lines in our prayers, whether, it be, whether it's the medical professionals or teachers, um, people are doing some really important works under very strenuous circumstances right now. Definitely continue to educate yourself on social justice issues and causes. There's still work that we all can do to make our society more inclusive and establish true equality and equity for all. Um, that's gonna do it, guys. Until next week, for my partner, King McClure, our producer and editor, our incredible team, I'm Monica McNutt. Wherever you can find them, even if I let football count, it's not really hoops, but I just want you to enjoy that too. Wherever you can find them, enjoy your hoops. Buckets, Boards and Blocks with Monica McNutt and King McClure is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.